Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, April 28, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, Eight Habits That Are Raising Your Blood Pressure from AARP Magazine. And What's the Right Weight for You from Consumer Reports on Health. Plus, Four Bad Fats You Should Be Eating from Eating Well. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. Eight Habits That Are Raising Your Blood Pressure. Seemingly innocent everyday behaviors might be putting you at risk for stroke by Nicole Payer from AARP Magazine. Hypertension is commonly called the silent killer. It's a leading risk factor for stroke, heart attack, and heart failure. But while exercise, medication, and going easy on the salt shaker are all important in keeping blood pressure down, you may be undoing all that good with a handful of personal habits that can put you at increased risk. Ask yourself if any of these factors sound like you. Pressure point number one, you're an antisocial woman or an overly social man. As a species, we're not meant to be without other people, says Annalyn Conklin, an assistant professor at the University of British Columbia. If you are socially isolated, it raises your cortisol levels to put you in a fight-or-flight response, she says. A study Conklin conducted on more than 28,000 adults ages 45 to 85 found that for women, being single, having limited social activity, or being part of a small social network was linked to higher average blood pressure. Interestingly, Conklin's study found that men who lived alone or had small social networks were less likely to have high blood pressure than those who lived with others or had large networks, greater than 220 people. It's unclear whether the difference was due to biological reasons or simply because there's less stigma around men going it alone. That said, feeling isolated is not good for your arteries. Another smaller study of adults ages 50 to 68 found that those with the highest scores on a loneliness survey had a systolic blood pressure, the first number in blood pressure reading, that was 10 to 30 points higher than those of their less lonely counterparts. Pressure point number two, you hold it when you have to go. A full bladder raises blood pressure about 10 to 15 points, explains Luke Laffin, MD, co-director of the Center for Blood Pressure Disorders at the Cleveland Clinic. That's why he and his colleagues encourage people to urinate before they measure their blood pressure, particularly if they're doing so to monitor the medications they're taking at home. It's fine to hold it if you're in a situation where you cannot urinate freely, but if you can use the restroom, then you shouldn't necessarily delay, Laffin says. Do a preemptive pee before going to the theater or beginning a long car ride. Speaking of urination, getting up frequently at night to relieve yourself may be a sign of hypertension. If your blood pressure is elevated, that causes the body to say, I need to lower my blood pressure. One way to do that is to urinate, Laffin says. Pressure point number three, you haven't had your thyroid checked in a while. Both overactive and underactive thyroids can raise blood pressure, 
A severely overactive thyroid can boost your risk of cardiovascular issues, says Nicole Rhonda Bloom, MD, an accredited endocrinologist based in New Hyde Park, New York. Bloom encourages patients to get their levels checked annually or every six months if they have a strong family history of thyroid disease or symptoms. And if you're on thyroid medication, make sure you're taking it as prescribed. Skipping medication for low thyroid doesn't often cause high blood pressure, but missing medication for high thyroid can be problematic, Bloom adds. Pressure point number four, you pass on the produce. Having too much sodium is a long-established catalyst for hypertension. But consuming a diet rich in produce can help counter these effects thanks to the potassium found in many fruits and vegetables. Potassium decreases blood pressure by causing our bodies to release sodium, says Seamus Welton, MD, an assistant professor of medicine at the Johns Hopkins Medicine Division of Cardiology. Men should aim for 3,400 milligrams of potassium per day, and women need about 2,600. There's no need to take potassium supplements unless your doctor recommends this. Foods including bananas, dried fruit, potatoes, and beans will help keep your salt-to-potassium ratio in check. About 75% of the sodium most people consume is already in food when they buy it, Welton says. Swapping out processed foods and eating four to five servings of fruits and four to five servings of vegetables per day is the key to reducing your sodium and upping your potassium. Pressure point number five. You relax with a drink or two. A study of more than 17,000 U.S. adults found that just 7 to 13 drinks per week substantially raises one's risk of high blood pressure. Moderate drinkers were 53% more likely to have stage 1 hypertension and twice as likely to have stage 2 hypertension than participants who didn't drink. That percentage got higher with the more drinks a person had. Welton warns that even drinking too much in one sitting can spike your blood pressure over the next few days. Stick to the rule of thumb of one to two drinks per day for men and one per day for women. Pressure point number six. You take medication your cardiologist doesn't know about. In one study, 18.5% of adults with hypertension reported taking a medication that contributed to increased blood pressure. There are several medications that can do it, notes Carrie Kimmensteel, MD, director of the Interventional Cardiology Center at Tufts Medical Center and a professor of medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine. Nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs, such as naproxen, or Aleve, and ibuprofen, Motrin, and decongestants like Sudafed, which contains pseudoepinephrine, are known to increase high blood pressure. Some antidepressants and immunosuppressants can also be culprits. Always ask your cardiologist about new medications before taking them, Kimmel Steele says. Pressure point number seven, you have erratic bedtimes. People who don't get six to eight hours of uninterrupted sleep can have elevated blood pressure, Laffin says. Several studies have found that sleepless nights raise blood pressure not only throughout the night, but the next day as well. For quality sleep, go to bed and wake up at the same time every day. Avoid drinking and eating 90 minutes before bed, and don't watch television in bed. And if you're snoring, gasping for air in the night, or exceptionally tired during the day, 
get checked for sleep apnea. Treating this lowers blood pressure by three or four points in the average individual, Laffin says. Pressure point number eight. You're toughing it out with chronic pain. Ongoing pain issues can cause chronically elevated blood pressure, according to Laffin. And taking NSAIDs for more than a week to try to manage your pain can raise your risk even more. If you have pain that lasts for more than a few weeks, see your physician and don't delay needed operations such as knee or hip replacements. Treat the underlying cause of the pain and then the blood pressure elevation goes away, Laffin says. Up next, what's the right weight for you? It may not be as low as it used to be. From Consumer Reports on Health. Being overweight can have health risks, and many people have had a fraught relationship with their scale over the years. But now, research is calling into question just how weight should be evaluated for older adults. While some experts think it's better to try to avoid carrying too many pounds, others think that the guidelines that apply to younger people may not apply to older adults, and that a few extra pounds aren't worth worrying about. Is it healthier to carry excess weight is a complex question, says Donald M. Lloyd-Jones, M.D., chair of preventive medicine at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. Across your life course, it's worse because it puts you at risk for heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and certain forms of cancer, which is going to limit your lifespan or quality of life, he says. But excess weight may be protective later in life if you become ill or are hospitalized. Then it's better to have more reserves in the form of extra weight than not, Lloyd-Jones says. It provides calories that your body can use without having to degrade muscle strength, he says. The role of BMI. Typically, health experts evaluate weight using the Body Mass Index, or BMI, a measure calculated from height and weight that correlates with the amount of body fat someone has. You can find BMI calculators online. A result below 18.5 is considered underweight, 25 to 29.9 is overweight, and 30 and above is obese. The conventional wisdom is that as the BMI rises, so does the risk for weight-related health conditions and dying early. But researchers have speculated that the standard BMI curve, with mortality going up as the BMI does, may be more U-shaped for older adults. As it turns out, those with low or very high BMIs are at greater risk of illness and dying early, and those who are a healthy weight, overweight, or even mildly obese sit in the sweet spot in the middle. A 2022 study of more than 1,000 men and women whose average age was 77, published in the Annals of Geriatric Medicine and Research, found that those with a BMI below 25 or above 35 had a higher risk of balance problems, falls, malnutrition, and poor strength. The researchers set optimal BMI targets for people over age 65 at 31 to 32 for women and 27 to 28 for men. Focus on body fat. Knowing your BMI tells you whether you might be carrying extra pounds, but it doesn't tell you how much muscle you have or where the fat is located, two factors that are important in determining whether you need to lose weight. With age, the amount of fat you have increases and the amount of muscle decreases. 
This age-related loss of muscle, called sarcopenia, is associated with a higher risk of falls, frailty, and early death. In addition, that extra fat may accumulate in the midsection, called visceral fat, and infiltrate muscles and organs such as the liver. This shift, which happens regardless of the BMI, contributes to an increased risk of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, liver disease, and more. That's why some researchers point to body composition testing, which determines the percentage of body fat, as a way to get a more accurate idea how weight could be affecting health. A 2020 review published in Frontiers in Nutrition found that evidence supports the role of low lean mass, i.e., muscle, as the actual predictor of mortality when used in place of BMI. There are easy ways to figure out where you stand in terms of body fat and muscle. First, measure your waist circumference, which will help you see if you're carrying too much visceral fat. Place a tape measure around your middle, just above your hip bones. If the number is greater than 40 inches for men and 35 inches for women, your disease risk is higher. An inexpensive way to measure body fat is to use skin-fold calipers available at many gyms. But a DXA, dual X-ray absorbitometry scan, which your doctor may have already recommended to test bone density, can tell you how much fat and muscle you're carrying and estimate the amount of visceral fat. So, if you're getting a DEXA scan for your bones, ask for those results. According to the American College of Sports Medicine, a poor result for people ages 60 and over is a body fat percentage greater than 25.7 for men and over 30.9 for women. Note: scales that measure body fat may not give accurate results. Consumer Reports tests have found. Next, with these numbers in hand, consider your health and lifestyle. Are you in good health, or are you trying to manage one or more chronic conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, COPD, or osteoarthritis? Do you have trouble moving around due to excess weight, or can you do all the things you want to do, such as playing with your grandkids, volunteering, or just sleeping soundly? Focusing on these factors is a better approach for evaluating if you need to lose weight than focusing on what the scale says alone," says Laura Mosqueda, M.D., a professor of family medicine and geriatrics at USC's Keck School of Medicine. For example, if you're five feet six inches and weigh 160 or 170, which is a BMI of 25.8 or 27.4 respectively, your waist size is within the guidelines, and you're active and healthy. You probably don't need to worry about losing weight. But if you have underlying health conditions or you're carrying excess pounds around your middle, you may be better off trying to drop some weight. If necessary, your doctor can determine how weight changes could affect your health. Building muscle. What we really want people to have if they're going to be heavier is lean body mass, not fat mass. Lloyd Jones says, just as fat is metabolically active in bad ways, muscle is very metabolically active in good ways. It clears blood sugar and harmful fats out of the blood very quickly. He says. Strength training using dumbbells, weight machines, exercise bands, and your own body weight as resistance is the primary way to preserve and build muscle. Working with some sort of coach, physical therapist, or trainer is a good way to figure out what to do and where to start. Mosqueda says.
Your workout needs to be individualized for your goals and what's important to you, so things are designed in ways that are meaningful to you, she says. Aim for two weekly strength training sessions that target your entire body. Moderate to vigorous aerobic exercise like walking, jogging, biking, climbing stairs, swimming can also help keep muscles strong and help reduce fat along with healthy eating. Even if you don't lose pounds, you can change your body composition by reducing fat and increasing muscle. Protein is also key for building and maintaining muscle, says Roseanne M. Lipzig, M.D., Ph.D., a professor in the Department of Geriatrics and Palliative Medicine at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. Older people don't eat as much protein as they should, and that's a big problem, she says. While the standard daily need for protein is 0.36 gram per pound of body weight per day, people over age 65 should strive for 0.45 to 0.68 gram of protein per pound of body weight daily, or about 72 to 109 grams for a 160-pound person. To maximize your body's ability to absorb and use protein, spread it throughout the day instead of eating it all in one meal. Up next, four bad fats you should be eating, according to dietitians. You know that avocado and olive oil are smart choices, but it's time to add these sometimes avoided foods back to your menu. By Carla Walsh from Eating Well. As BFFs with their favorite bottle of olive oil and proud avocado toast aficionados, Eating Well editors were certainly more than happy to see the trends of chalky, fat-free cookies and air-pumped froyo fade away. The low-fat era in the 1980s and 1990s continues to have some ripple effects on the food system and the reputation of certain products, it seems, especially regarding the whole family of fats. As a reminder, fat is not to be feared. In addition to carbohydrates and protein, fat is an essential macronutrient that plays several important roles in the body, says Lauren Harris Pincus, MS, RDN, a New Jersey-based registered dietitian, founder of NutritionStarringYou.com, and author of the Everything Easy Pre-Diabetes Cookbook. These important functions include boosting the body's ability to absorb fat-soluble vitamins like A, D, E, and K, producing certain hormones that support bone health, reproduction, and muscle mass, and playing a role in cell structure, function, and communication, Harris Pinkett's confirms. Plus, fat plays a major role in boosting your brain power. The brain is 60% fat, so fat consumption is important for cognition and memory, she adds. The benefits of consuming fats don't stop there, says Mary Stewart, RDLD, a registered dietitian and the founder of Cultivate Nutrition in Dallas. Fat delivers flavor and fullness to our meals, Stewart explains, and you can max out your health benefits by choosing the optimal amount and the right kinds, she says. Consuming healthy fats is linked to reduced chronic inflammation, brain health, cardiovascular health, and a stronger immune system, she says. Are fats bad for you? All foods that contain calories from fat include a mixture of different types of fat, Stewart says. They fall into one of three categories. Saturated fat is found in animal products such as meat, full-fat dairy, and tropical oils. These fats are typically solid at room temperature since their chemical structure includes carbon molecules that are saturated with hydrogen atoms. 
Unsaturated fat is liquid at room temperature, again due to its molecular makeup. These come in two types, monounsaturated fatty acids, or MUFAs, and polyunsaturated fatty acids, or PUFAs, both of which play a beneficial role in supporting our health, according to Stewart. MUFAs have extensively been researched to validate a positive impact on cardiovascular health, gut health, and inflammation, Stewart says. You can score them via macadamia nuts, olives, avocados, olive oil, avocado oil, canola oil, and peanut oil. PUFAs have been shown to reduce LDL cholesterol, increase HDL cholesterol, and protect against cardiovascular and neurodegenerative diseases, Stewart says. You might hear these broken down further into omega-6s and omega-3s. Get your dose from walnuts, flaxseed, pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, soybean oil, and canola oil. Trans fats can be found naturally in a handful of foods, but used to be mainly spotted in some processed foods and fast foods that include vegetable oils altered in a way that made them more shelf-stable. These added trans fats have been phased out after being banned by the FDA. So how can you determine which fats you should consume and which to limit? As mentioned, research backs up the fact that unsaturated fats are a boon for your body in moderation, to the tune of 20% to 25% or so of total calories from fat. Think of experts flipping on the green light for these. A yellow light goes to saturated fats. Proceed with caution, but definitely don't avoid them at all costs, Harris Pincus and Stewart agree. Saturated fat has been controversial. Per a 2023 article published in Current Opinion in Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Obesity, in research communities and in the public conversation over the years, and has been deemed as a bad fat by many, Stewart says. But it's actually an important part of our health on a cellular level, she says. Fatty acids, both saturated and unsaturated, form the structure of our cell membranes, which makes the cells fluid, allows nutrients to enter the cells, and ushers waste out. Some studies have hinted that a very high saturated fat intake is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, but other research calls that theory into question. As experts continue to learn more, to find a happy medium, aim to follow the 2020 to 2025 Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommendation for up to 10% of fats from saturated sources. If you have any current heart health risk factors, a family history of heart disease, or a previous diagnosis of high cholesterol, your doctor or dietitian may also suggest limiting saturated fat more. The trans fats are the only ones that we'll switch the red light on for. Artificial trans fat is a type of fat we definitely want to steer clear of as it's associated with increased risk of chronic conditions like diabetes, heart disease, and other inflammatory-related conditions, Stewart says. Since the science is so strong about the health harms of these artificial trans fats, the FDA announced in 2015 that food producers had until 2020 to eliminate trans fats from their recipes. The amount left in the food system should be sparse, but trace amounts might still be in circulation. 
One of the best ways to circumvent this harmful fat is to read the ingredient list and avoid products that list partially hydrogenated oil in products like cookies, pies, cakes, crackers, and avoid deep-fried foods as they are usually fried in oils containing trans fat. Stewart says, "Four bad fats you should eat." After that reminder that nuts, seeds, vegetable-based oils, and avocado, the common good fats you're likely familiar with, are still your best bets, Stewart and Harris Pincus share their picks for the best underloved and underused fats they consume in moderation, and recommend clients do too. These are whole eggs, whole milk products, butter, and coconut oil. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.